Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat everything Star Trek The Next Generation. We're your co-hosts, Jeff Owen and Baz Greenland. Hi Baz, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Jeff? I'm pretty good, thanks. Uh, a bit exhausted because I've literally just walked through the door after work, but um, keen to talk about our topic today. Joining us today on Beyond Farpoint, we have a special guest, Hugh McStay. How are you doing today, Hugh? I'm not too bad, gents. How are you getting on? Pretty good, thanks. So, we've podcasted before because I had a chance to guest last year on Podcast 616 with you. Yeah. But I don't know if you two have podcasted together. No, I think this is the first time you and I spoke here, Baz. It is, yeah. We, we, we chat a lot on Discord on the We Made This side, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, first time. First, first of many. Yeah. Ho- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it's not the last. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and from chatting with you, uh, who I know that you're a Star Trek fan, and I'm... Mm. Gonna go out on a limb and say that you're a fan of Star Trek: The Next Generation in particular, are you? Yeah, well, it's a combination of The Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine. I think, I would, if I'm honest, I'd say Deep Space Nine was like my my one true love as a as a Trekkie. <laughs> Join the uh, club, but yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think Star Trek: The Next Generation was my gateway drug to the the fandom. So yeah, absolutely, big fan. Sounds about the same as us, doesn't it, Baz? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. We we kind of had that kind of secret confession. We we were on next gen podcast, but probably like DS on a little bit more, but. <laughs> but but next gen is amazing and we we love talking about it as well. Yeah, it's like if if Deep Space Nine is the ten out of ten, Star Trek the Next Generation is like nine point nine 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 recurring. Yeah. We are not quite the threshold uh, salamanders, but we're almost there. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we've discussed it before as well. I think Star Trek the Next Generation is the most Trek Star Trek as well. Yeah. Like, mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna quiz you a little bit, Hugh, on your Star Trek fandom. God. No, you never said that was going to happen before I agreed to come on. That's outrageous. Well, you know, we do surprise you on this one. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about your Trek fandom. Well, you've already told us that DS9 is your favourite. But have you got a favourite episode of TNG? Oh, goodness, that's a really good question. Um, so I'm actually... I, I, I may have mentioned this before. I'm actually in the middle of a huge Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch for the first time in about maybe... 15 years or so all right yeah um so what's actually happening is i'm rediscovering episodes that some that i thought i liked that turned out i don't and then others that i remember being a bit dull when i was younger that have turned out to be really good fun this time round i'm also finding that with the characters which is really weird there are some characters who i thought were great when i was a kid but watching back as an adult it's like hmm i have some questions about your behavior (laughs) sir and we need to discuss this um but in terms of in terms of individual episodes, I mean, is it terribly boring to say the best of both worlds part one and two? Is that is that like a dull, repetitive answer you get a lot? Because I'm afraid so far that's what it is. I'm I'm on season six at the moment in the in my rewatch, so I'm, I'm nearing the end. Uh, but as of yet, there's been very little that's kind of hit the heights of those that of that double bill. And honestly. I watched that so often as a child, those episodes. Um, even watching it as an adult, I felt like I could regurgitate 80% of the script verbatim. So, uh, yeah, still the best of both worlds, I think. 
don't blame you at all. And there's those musical moments as well, those musical cues that you just know oh, what yeah. to expect. The first appearance mm. of the Borg mm. on the screen and the Mr. Wolf fire, they're, they're forever yeah. cemented in uh, our memories, I think. What do you think, Buzz? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's perhaps one of the best. I think for yeah, Jeff and I, it's uh, yesterday's enterprise. But I think you know, in top, probably top three, best of both mm. worlds is just amazing. Mm. One of the best cliffhangers of all time, and it's no doubt, no, it's no surprise that they brought back the Borg for the movies based on what happens in uh, in best of both worlds as well. So that's kind of leads into my question. Then, what about mm. the uh, TNG movies? Are you a fan of those, and which is your favourite? Well. Um... I would say yes, I'm a fan, largely, uh, but uh, in terms of varying quality, ah, yeah, they're, they're a bit all over the place. Now, in terms of what is objectively the best, I think it's First Contact. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a terrific film. Again, I, I love the Borg. Can't get yeah. enough Borg, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to t- discussing them a little bit on the episode later. Uh, but I do have a soft spot for Generations. Um, I know it's <laughs> I know not exactly a, a perfect film, and it has got loads of issues that don't quite work, but... Uh, Oh, I'm an absolute sucker for Kirk and Picard together. Uh, just it really hits me in the nostalgia feels. So yeah, I still think First Contact. Though we'll go with that. That, that just about edges generations for me. Before Christmas, I saw a lot of people putting forward that Star Trek Generations was that like their Christmas Star Trek movie because you've got that big Christmassy moment mm. in the middle. And do you know what? I completely agree. I think it feels quite Christmassy. Um, mm-hmm. And I go back and watch that at Christmas. Yeah. Uh, you know, Die Hard, Gremlin, Star Trek Generations. That's the new. That's the new list. Well, exactly. Kirk's <laughs> kind of the Christmas, the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, trying to think of the ghost of Christmas yet to come would be on that mm-hmm. on that one. Right. So, what about your uh, favourite character? Mm. So, yeah, I think if we're sticking just to Star Trek The Next Generation, um, my favourite character is definitely Data. And it was as a kid as well, growing up. I mean, I absolutely love Brent Spinell's performance. And, you know, I, I love all the Pinocchio stuff, you know, the you know the desperately yearning for his humanity. Um, I love that that's such a strong through line, right? Even from the, you know, the first season that they really build on and the relationship that he develops with Picard through that and the relationship he has with Geordi. Um, yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I think is absolutely terrific, which is why I was really keen uh, when, when I was given the opportunity to come on and speak about these episodes because, um, you know, double Brent Spiner, what's not to love? I mean, come on, it's, you know, these episodes have got so much, uh, so much goodness in them. Uh, I'm really keen to see what you guys think of them. Not just double, we're getting triple Brent Spiner later as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, finally, do you have a favourite moment from Star Trek The Next Generation? Oh, God, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, so, yeah, the Mr. Worf fire, I think, is emboldened into everyone's brains. I think we all know that one. Um, in terms of some of the, the quieter moments, um, and I've not got to this yet in my rewatch, but as a kid, I, I do remember... Uh, the end of All Good Things being quite poignant. And it's even in my head now when Picard joins them for that poker game at the very end of the series. Um, I, I just I remember that as a kid being such a, a beautiful little moment. Mm. I'm looking forward to revisiting it. I like it. It's been a long while since I've, since I've seen those episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, between those two for me. But then, you know, you look back at some of the episodes. You mentioned yesterday's Enterprise, which is absolutely littered with terrific moments as well. Yeah. Um, I, I love the way in which the, the Enterprise is reimagined to be the sort of this combat-ready vessel, um, and that that great moment with uh, with Gaining in that episode, and when she's talking to Worf at the end, when she asks her, you know, to tell me about uh, Tasha Yar, 
um, it's just, it's just terrific. It, it, you know, it, it's it's such a simple little moment, but it kind of um, it echoes across the the rest of the series. I think so. Yeah, lo- loads of moments throughout throughout. Yeah, I I completely agree. And just going back to the um, the, the poker game, I saw someone suggest as well it would be a nice way to round off Picard season three if they're all sitting down to poker again. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The- they need to do that, yeah. don't they? I mean, that seems like an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, so fingers crossed. Let's let's hope they do that. Mm. Right, last month, sadly, I wasn't able to come on the show as uh, we had lost a beloved family pet, namely Ron the Awesome Guinea Pig, a couple of hours before we were due to record. Oh. And because of that, I wasn't really in the right frame of mind to talk about Professor Moriarty's return, which is a shame as I really enjoyed rewatching both the episodes and i was actually looking forward to coming on and talking about him with you uh with you baz and uh, and rob as well but we decided to discuss moriarty's episodes after he'd made a surprising appearance in the picard season three trailer spoiler if you haven't seen it by the way who <laughs> <laughs> no don't worry that was one of the things i'm very excited by that trailer i think i'm uh I think I'm like one of the only people I know that really enjoyed the, the first two scenes of Picard. I mean, I think it, I thought it was terrific. Lots of issues with it, but um, I, I would be a liar if I said I didn't come away having enjoyed myself over both seasons. No, oh, same here, absolutely. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah you, you're right. It's It's got its issues, but, it, you know, for just a sheer trip down memory lane, it's it's been an absolute, mm. an absolute joy. Uh, to watch. I mean, Seven of Nine yeah. turning up, Wesley Crusher coming back as well. Y- you know, what, what isn't to like about the show? <laughs> we also got another surprising appearance at the end of the Picard Season 3 trailer. We get the return of returning Next Generation character, Law. Now, we knew we were going to be getting more Brent Spiner because his name had already been dropped in the very first reveal trailer. And the rumours had started up who it was going to be. Was it going to be another Sung family member? Was it going to be one we'd seen before? Was Data coming back? Heard a couple of people suggesting Law. Was he on either of your radars at all for this? Uh, well, personally, no. Uh, <laughs> I did no idea what they were going to do. Because of the way in which they kind of shoehorned uh, Brent Spiner into season two, I just assumed that they would find another way of doing that. You know, mm. Maybe it would be B4, maybe it would be, as you said, another member of the of the Soong family. Uh, it didn't really occur to me that they would be doing lore, which uh, which is great, though. I mean, I'm absolutely thrilled that he's going to be showing up as that character because, um, as we will get to, I mean... <laughs> He's such fun. He's so much fun as a villain. Mm. Uh, so I look forward to seeing how he has developed over the years. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I wasn't expecting Law for a few reasons. One, because obviously the reason Brett Spine decided to kill off Data in Nemesis is because he was getting too old to play an unaging android anyway. So yeah. obviously Law's a replica of him. Uh, secondly, we'd had other Sung characters. I, the one thing, you know, talking about what I wasn't a fan of, I wasn't a fan of Sung in Picard Season 2. But there was some, you know, particularly in the first season, there was some great data stuff as well. Um, but Law is such a great character. And yeah, there was like the kind of thrill, Moriarty. And then Law was like, wow, wow, wow. So not <laughs> only you got that joy of seeing all the cast finally back together, you know, seeing Worf and Crush and all these characters you haven't seen for, for decades. Seeing, yeah, that, that Law moment at the end of the trailer was really exciting. So um wasn't expecting mm. it, but I'm really thrilled that he's coming back. And uh, if this is kind of Brent Spire's final performance, well, Law's a great character, so uh, it'll be fun to see. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that trailer, you, you only get the Law reveal right at the end because you get the Picard coming in February 2023. And at that point, I'd stopped mm-hmm. it the first time I watched it. 
And then people were saying, Law. And I was like, what? I, don't, I, I didn't see him in the trailer. I went back and watched it and realised, yeah, there was a bit after the final screen caption. And I thought, right, okay, I've just spoiled the trailer for me, even though I've seen the trailer. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't on my radar at all. You know, I mean, I was sort of thinking it, and I was leaning to it more being another song, or even the song that we saw at the end of season one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was his name? I know his initials were AI, which always made me uh, laugh. Sung number four, I think it was. (laughs) (laughs) Sung number four, yeah. Lore is very much from the evil twin trope, and we've seen this loads of times over the years. Knight Rider, Futurama, Doctor Who, maybe not the best example. I'm saying Doctor Who, actually. Has there been a evil twin thing in Doctor Who? Yes. The the Valyard, I think, is probably... Well, yeah, the Valyard is a future twisted version of the doctor there's mm. also um i'm they're really getting my knowledge here and you know if i get this wrong then ben will kill me <laughs> host. but and um, there's salamander so patrick trelton was actually in a second doctor story where he was playing a villain called salamander a guy mm. who looked like the doctor there was an evil twin then um i guess more generally you can also say the master i mean it's kind of a moriarty mm. thing but it's also the two sides of the same coin again they are different characters but at the same time that it's like the the kind of the twisted version of the doctor as well in in mm. the master and missy so yeah there's been a few but they are yeah valyards valyards and salamander probably the closest i can think of there's also that one with the um cybermen wasn't there with matt smith uh the second old gaming episode oh, when he's kind yeah, of the two yeah. sides and the kind of cyber version of the of the doctor mm. as well so yeah they've they've done evil versions before there was a Flash version as well, wasn't there? The, the yeah, Rebel yeah. Flash version of it. And wasn't there a um, a, a fake First Doctor in one as well with a really yeah, bad body be. double? In some of the really old stuff, they, they, I think they probably played a bit more back in the 60s as well. We've had it in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that it didn't also happen in Farscape. Uncharted Territories coming soon to mm. remake this. <laughs> it's such a fun trope though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Across all pop culture, um, it just feels like every major genre show has had a go at doing something like this. I mean, one of my favourite shows is, is Fringe and let's be honest, I mean, their entire sort of like third and fourth oh, yeah. season is based on the idea mm. of the alternate uh, versions of the characters. Initially, they are pr- uh, portrayed as the evil versions, but of course, the more you get to know those characters, the more layered that they they tend to be. I know you'd mentioned Jeff Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. I think they do it tremendously in their episodes, where you get the sort of like the the evil leather clad Willow showing yeah. up for a couple of mm. episodes. I mean, that was so much fun, and you can tell how much fun the actors are having. I always find, you know, you can see them just deciding, well, I'm going to ratchet this up to ten and see how far <laughs> I can take it, which is always great to see. Absolutely, yeah. Arrowverse not now. The Flash did bought in multiverse as well, and they read lots oh, of yeah. Uh, oh yeah, lots of great ones as well. Oh, oh, Christ on Earth X is basically an entire planet of evil versions of the uh, of the cast, which is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, the evil Supergirl. Yeah. And, of course, we've seen it so many times over the years with Star Trek. I mean, we've got the Mirror Universe in Star Trek, for crying out loud. Yeah. Even though Next Generation never went anywhere near the Mirror Universe, which is weird. You know, Jeff, the only thing that could make lore any better for me would be if they like, plastered on some terrible, like, goatee beard. That'd be perfect. <laughs> but that's the only thing that could have made me any happier. That's funnily enough why I put, why I put Futurama in the list, because I kept thinking of Flexo, um, Bender's evil double. And he knew he was evil because he had a little... Little goatee beard on, and first yeah. time you meet him, he's actually quite a decent bloke. He's just got a beard on him. It's it's certainly a well worn trope. Is it well worn, or is it worth doing if it's done well? 
Um, well, no, I, I don't. I don't think it's well well worn in terms of it happens regularly. Mm. But I don't think it's reached a point yet where you know it's worn out its welcome. Because as I said, I think you can always tell how much fun the actors are having mm. with it, and that translates to the screen quite well often. Um, so no. I mean, again, I don't expect to see an evil twin trope show up in something like uh, the, like the Last of Us or something. <laughs> but you know, when it comes to sci-fi shenanigans uh, or you know, like fantasy shenanigans, yeah, give me an evil twin. It's always good fun. Yeah, I, I, no, fantasy. I now want evil twins in the Rings of Power. That's what that's what it's going. Or House of Dragon. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think I think sometimes it is overdone. I mean, Dear Stein's a prime example. I love some of the movie universe episodes. They are hamming up to the ten. Mm. I mean, <laughs> evil. There's, there's the um, I mean, some is questionable. Like Dominatrix Leverkira is, is um, it's both fun and a little bit questionable at times. And there's like a, and you get weak versions, like weak versions of Garrick, Garrick and stuff and that. And mm. it's quite fun to play. But there was a point when you're getting like the, the final season as well, because because DS Nine was just building and building and building every season. Yeah. And the movie universes kind of became a little bit of a law of diminishing returns. Each one wasn't quite as fun as the last mm-hmm. one, but when they started, it was certainly a lot of fun. Yeah. And if you start picking apart the whole thing of the Mirror Universe, it just completely breaks down. I mean, Deep Space Nine's <laughs> Mirror Universe didn't have a Jake Sisko in the Mirror Universe because Ben and Jennifer didn't meet. And, of course, that would happen so often across the Mirror Universe. You wouldn't have the same people. But, anyway... Um, move on. Yeah. <laughs> let's get past that, because we know it'll just fall apart just by the slightest glance at it. <laughs> The reason that we're recording this episode today then is to talk about Law because of his appearance in season three's Picard trailer. Now, we first met Law back in the episode Data Law, which was season one, episode 13. First aired in 18th of January 1988 in the US, 19th of December 1990 in the UK. Written by Robert Lewin and Gene Roddenberry from a story by Robert Lewin and Morris Hurley. Directed by Rob Bowman from Memory Alpha. The Enterprise explores Data's home planet, Omicron Theta. They find his brother and the dark secret he carries. Baz, what are your thoughts on Data Law in general? It's one of the better season one episodes, um, which sometimes season one has varying quality. Though we, we seem to have covered a lot of season one on Beyond Fire, actually. Yeah. Um, we know we jump around a bit. But, uh, I mean, and partly that does come down to Brent Spiner and Brent Spiner, because Law is mm. brilliant and it's great to get some real fun, Luke delve into to this character. So there's a... It's a it's a kind of it's a great origin story, and we're also throwing up this evil evil twin uh, with with uh, law as well. And, and there's a, there's a mystery of the kind of planet and the crystalline entity. So there's quite a lot packed in. And and while some of the other performances I found a little bit kind of wooden stilted, Vike is very stilted in this episode, for example. Oh, yeah. And and that's kind of generally the kind of how look and feel of season one. It's definitely one of the strongest episodes, and it's a great introduction for lore and a great bit of world building for Data too. Yeah, Hugh. Uh, yeah, I would just echo that. I mean, I think season one episodes are always a bit on the ropey side. Um, I'm ha- again, having gone back through it with uh, with more critical eyes as an adult, <laughs> um, some of it is incredibly questionable and dubious, and just made me shake my head. This episode stands out because it is quite a strong episode from mm. start to finish. It's got a good concept at its core. And as Baz mentioned there, Brent Spiner is on absolutely sparkling form as both Lore and Data. Um, I mean, the, the minute Lore shows up on screen, he's just this sort of bombastic, absurd presence chewing the scenery from the mm. moment he appears. Um, and it's like he, he does evolve throughout his appearances on the show, uh, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to as we go. But um, 
the, the fact that fundamentally he is a bit of a dick is just enormous fun. <laughs> yeah. just, he's just so horrible from minute one. There's no build-up to it. There's no hiding. He's just immediately an obnoxious fool, uh, which which I thought was great. So, um, no, really, really good. Uh, something I noticed about this episode was the, um, the really sort of big obvious season one musical cues which i'd forgotten about quite how how over the top they can be mm-hmm. they're a little bit sort of like uh, they impose themselves on the episode a lot it's very melodramatic um but yeah no I, I had a lot of fun watching this one i've got to agree i i really enjoyed going back and data lore is actually the second episode of star trek the next generation i ever saw back mm. when the first time I got to see it was on VHS rentals. So we'd seen Encounter at Farpoint and the very next episode I saw was Data Law. Probably not the best second episode to see, but it's it's a great character building moment, not just for Law, but for Data as well, because you see more about his character and get to learn more about uh, things he can and can't do. Sorry, cannot do. Mm. I think um, there's a couple of lovely moments in this as well, when uh, Data and Picard are talking about um, you know what constitutes a living being, and mm. look, right from early on, Picard is such a, like a compassionate, decent human being, which I love. That you know, it's there in those early moments, which obviously will pay off in things like uh, the measure of a man a little bit later down the road. I mean, he immediately sort of puts out the the idea that you know, lore and data are alive; they're just different types of. Um, creatures you know they are mechanical rather than biological um so i really like that um and there's lots of lovely little bits throughout it and so like <laughs> when data makes a joke about his android alarm clock and and he asks dr crusher was that amusing and she just shakes her head it's like, oh, <laughs> tough room data. my goodness i thought that was quite amusing for, for an android that was all right or like things like the uh, the pictures, um, the children's drawings of the crystalline entity, which are genuinely hilariously terrifying. Yes. You know, all these kids running away from this thing in the sky. When did they have time to draw that? I'd like to know, like, <laughs> as they were running, throwing them over art, their shoulder. Yeah, it's like an art class in the field, five years later, they're all massacred. It's like, <laughs> it's, it doesn't really make sense, does it? <laughs> Uh, and, and also, I mean, what what is this is a recurring theme I noticed as well, right? What is Lore wearing in this episode? It just looks like a brown beige sack. <laughs> I mean, look, what, what an, no wonder he's turned evil. I mean, I would be evil if someone in, 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 enslaved me to those kind of clothes. It's just appalling. Uh, but, but hey, hey, gen- <laughs> by the time he gets to descent, it's it's full on black kind of like body <laughs> armor look, isn't it? It's kind of great. Yeah. It's from episode to episode, each time he appears, he's wearing something that every... I was watching it last night, uh, the episode Descent, and when he shows up in, the, as you said, the body armour, I actually sat up on the sofa like, what, what's he wearing now? What's this? Where did we get that from? It's, it's lovely. I, I, it's such a great uh, character for you throughout those episodes. Yeah. What are we going to see him wearing in Picard then? I can't wait. <laughs> well, I see Quinn I think. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, Disco lore. Let's get that on the go. I'd be up for that. <laughs> That's thrown me completely. <laughs> right. I've noticed as well, they've obviously named both these characters in it, Data and Law, and they both mean collections mm. of knowledge and information. But Data is a much more analytical, emotionless, clinical word mm. for information, and Law is more mythical, anecdotal, and emotional. What, what do you think of that? Do, do you agree with that, or...? Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that I think that's really fair. Uh, the, the namings of the characters, are, again, as a kid, wasn't really something that was in my head to think about. But this time round was, was really interesting. Lore itself, you know, it's kind of like 
I mean, this story, if it, if anything, is is like Data's origin story, isn't mm-hmm. it? And you know, the, we fill out all you know a lot of the blanks that we'd had until this point for Data as a character. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that that's that's a, that's a sound reading of that, Jeff. I do, I do think that's where that comes from. Yeah, Law is the history, the mythos behind Data's mm. creation. And, you know, he's yeah. the it's the earlier version as well. So yeah, I think that does suit quite well. I was thinking as well, just going back to that first activation, because the very first thing mm. out of his mouth is a lie. And that's pretty much how it goes on from there. I mean, we find out as well that he can't, sorry, cannot use contractions. I mean, looking at this with 2023 eyes, it seems strange that there couldn't have been a line of code there that said to swap out certain phrases with the contraction. <laughs> Back in 1988, when this was this was on, this felt quite legitimate. What, what do you think? And does it sort of undo it right at the end where Data says, I'm fine? See, I always took that as Data attempting to, you know, ape his brother because he could see that his brother, as much as... Um as much as he was a bit of a douchebag, you know, he certainly was more at home with uh, being human. And I, I, I just took that as him trying to kind of like take that on board. But I mean, there's, when you talk about that, about the, the idea of what an android was viewed through a 1987 or 88 prism, it is difficult. I mean, like, we drug data in this episode. Is, is that possible? Can we can we drug androids? You know, he, he slips something into his champagne. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was lots of little things like that that I found a bit sort of unusual. Um, there, there are weird things. I mean, there's the whole thing of no emotions, but so many times Data uses emotions. And it's like, it's like he, the way yeah. he feels or reacts to something. Um, and he begins like Picard goes, it must be an exciting time for you to visit your home planet. Well, no, he has no emotion. And yet, <laughs> and yet they kind of forget about that as well. So, there, I mean... It's an interesting one because yeah, they, they they do struggle all and admittedly all the way through, even in later seasons. There's sometimes time when data will, will spawn to something. You think that feels like you've got an emotive reaction to that, but hey, we'll let it go yeah. because it's it's actually really hard to do someone who is engaging and endearing as a character and data is a really endearing character, but have mm. him so cold and dispassionate that there is no emotion there as well. So. I kind of I kind of forgive them that they, they, they do occasionally slip up a little bit. Um I, I think the contraction thing is weird. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I do like how in the show they use that to good effect. Like we've oh actually it's law using contraction, so it's a way of catching mm-hmm. out. When um Data built his daughter in season three as well, mm-hmm. one of the steps that she's evolving is she started using contractions as well. So it mm-hmm. kinda of, so it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I like how they use Data's inability to use contractions to good effect as well. Yeah, even though we yeah. we know that he'd already been using contractions up until this point in the show, and they, they decided <laughs> to bring this in as a uh, uh, as a character description. You know, Jeff, that was something that really annoyed me when I was when I began my rewatch because um, I, I remember that as a big plot point in that episode that he couldn't use contractions, and then when I started my big rewatch, um, like he's just doing it from the off. It's just it's, it's always been there, and you think, oh. Oh, that's a bit disappointing. I, th- I hope they kind of mm. made that a real thing. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, they obviously, <laughs> they obviously said, "Oh, let's let's do this for this for this episode," and that's what happened from there on. And the other thing as well is when he's playing a part because we've seen him acting as well over the years, and we've seen him using mm. contractions when he's playing parts and acting. And it's like, how can you not do that when you're just talking normally? But Anyway, it's it's one of the oddities about Star Trek that just uh, mm. that sort of shows up today. We also first meet the crystalline entity in this episode. We see it again later on in Silicon Avatar, and the opening credits mm. for every episode of Star Trek Lower Decks is pretty much a monster created on a computer. But does it stand up? Does it seem a a, a threat to you? It looks mm. great. 
I mean, watching the now watch my shiny Blu-ray next-gen box set and seeing the HD remaster, it looks great even now. Mm. And but actually, next-gen does look good now. Actually, even the, in the yeah, 80s yeah. track looks good in HD. So you can you can start you can tell they put the money into the show because it really stands up. And maybe also because I watch a lot of 80s Doc Two as well. So it's a comparison <laughs> there. But it does it looks great. It's one of those ones where the concepts interesting, but the practicality of it is maybe a little bit different. I'm not quite sure it works as as well yeah i i think i agree with that i think it looks terrific i mean as, as a as a concept it's really interesting you know i i really like these uh, when they do episodes where there's like they encounter an alien that doesn't conform to the star trek ideal of an alien which is basically a human with uh, a funny nose or something yeah. you know something on their head so i like it when they come across something that's so mm. completely unusual you know just traveling the cosmos and, and doing its thing but yeah, I I don't think I don't think this really stands up. I think it looks great, but I don't think the the idea is carried through well enough. And it also has always kind of bugged me, and more so again watching it this time. Like I don't really get Lore's relationship with the crystalline entity. I don't really understand, you know, why he maintains a relationship with it. How he's able to get in contact yeah. with it again. It it all feels very very sweaty. But then. <laughs> I think a lot of season one episodes do that, don't they? They just think, right, we need a convenient out to to, to, to wrap up this episode. What can we do? And, and that, that does feel a little bit like that. It's never really clearly explained, which, again, is a season one problem, I think, in general. Yeah. And, and certainly the ending, when uh, when they defeat Law, when they beam Law off the ship, the entity just goes, mm. just leaves them alone. Like, mm. I didn't really get... Yeah. That felt like that was... Um, there was some really good stuff there with Data and Law, but the crystalline mm. entity subplot needed a bit more work i think i think as well having having lore be sort of communicated with it in the way in which he does it gives it a sort of uh, a sort of like mundanity you know it's like oh so it can just be you can just talk to it and reason with it and say well listen i'll give you all these guys if you let me go is that all right you know I, I, that that kind of uh, irked me a little bit as well because again as a concept, I really like the crystalline entity. I just don't think that that side of it works. So, what do you think, Jeff? I was going to say, I think they did it a lot better when they brought it back for Silicon Avatar because mm-hmm. it obviously comes to the planet, and you see the difference between the plush green meadows and orchards that you see at the start of the episode. Then the entity attacks, and you've got this barren, you know, scorched landscape afterwards, and you think, yeah, okay, that is. That is a, a substantial threat. And I think, even though we saw what happened with the colony afterwards in Data Law, I th- because we didn't see what the colony looked like before, it didn't really mm. feel like that much of a threat. So I think mm-hmm. I think Silicon Avatar did a good job of showing what the creature could do and, and just how devastating an attack from this creature would be. But Data Law itself, no, it's, it's, it's a strange one. I do love seeing it in the start of every episode of Lower Decks now, fighting yeah, against yeah. the Gorgon. <laughs> I'm loving how they just build up the bad guy. I, mean, I can't wait to see what's going to be in the season four uh, battle <laughs> sequence. <laughs> uh, it's it's just going to be one battle scene with every single creature that they've ever come across. Yeah. <laughs> when Law when replaces Daytree, he does quite a few out-of-character things, such as he calls Riker Riker at one point. Mm. And not understanding things like make it so. Wesley spots this quite early on, but the crew obviously just keep telling you to shut up, Wesley, which is a line that still haunts Will Wheaton to the day, even even his own mother. Do you think <laughs> do you think they should have seen past this? I mean, they know that there is an entity on the ship who looks exactly like mm-hmm. Data and suddenly Data is yeah. not acting like Data. Did yeah. You- I really like 
I both like and very frustrated Picard in this episode in equal measure because I like mm-hmm. kind of Picard's scientific curiosity and the way he brings Law on board the ship and wants to activate him and stuff. You know, and another element of Picard and his personality. But then they again, it's, it's kind of almost like a season one thing where they have to make them stupid because yes, because we have to bring it drag out the plot and. The whole shut up Wesley scene is horrible actually to watch because I, I yeah. know that Will Wheaton absolutely hates that sequence. The fact that his own mum says shut up Wesley too. And it's not like he's, you know, I get why people have made a family annoying. He's not being annoying in this one. He's going, hang on, have you seen what he's doing? That's not, that, I'm sure that's not data. He's, he's asking a valid question. Mm. And yet they won't listen to him. And it, and it kind of, they, they've, they've put him in position at this point of putting him on the bridge. There's been a slight development of the character after um, where no one has gone before. And yet, then they just ignore him. So again, it's the whole thing that it's making it, it makes the crew look stupid because mm-hmm. they have to keep the plot going. And uh, so yeah, so the stuff the stuff with Law being out to have character is great. It's just so frustrating that Wesley's the only one that sees it. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. It's 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 such a glaring issue in that scene because, I mean. He might as well be wear- having a sign over his head that says, I am definitely low at this point. You know, <laughs> it's so obvious that he is low. Um, He's even got yet, the facial Wesley tip. Spots it, it, Yeah, exactly. It's like, I could not be making this more obvious that I am definitely low. Uh, and as you said, Wesley spots it immediately and he gets the shut up Wesley treatment. I'm going to be honest with you, gents, right? I, I laughed at, at a proper chuckle. Not so much at the intent behind it, but more as a sort of, it's a brilliant example of that sort of like ropey writing in season one. It's like, yeah. what what clever way can we uh, can we come up with here to, to discount Wesley? Let's just tell him to shut up. Okay, let's, shut up, Wesley. Yeah. And it's, it's so out of character as well, I felt at that point. Um, I was watching this episode with uh, my uh, 16-year-old daughter in the room. She's not really a big Trek fan, but she thought this was quite fun seeing the two datas. Um, so she's watching this and even she just burst out laughing because it's so absurd to move mm. from, you know, trying to problem solve and, you know, taking everyone's opinion on board, which is what Star Trek The Next Generation is all about. You know, it's like, crikey, they're two minutes away from jumping into the ready room for a conference meeting about it. You know, that's what they always do. And here's someone giving some really, like, insightful uh, insights into what's actually happening, this, uh, solving the problem, telling them where the issues are, and the response is simply, shut up, twice, yeah. as he said, from his mother as well. Heartless goons. It's not, yes. it's not on, not on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no wonder Will Wheaton went through a phase of blocking everyone on Twitter that just said, shut up, where's Wheaton? <laughs> That's all I've got really for data law, apart from a couple of observations. Is there um, any more final thoughts that uh, you've got on this episode than who? Um, overall, just that it was it's a really fun season one episode. And I think if you take it on those merits, you, you'll get a lot out of it. You know, um, I think you can enjoy the performance from Brent Spiner. I think Brent Spiner's terrific generally in Star Trek The Next yeah. Generation. One of those wonderful actors who's able to do so much by doing so little, if you know what I mean. There's, you know, But the, the very fact that he plays a, an emotionless android means he does have to constantly restrain that performance. Uh, and I think there's, there's a lot of that in this. And then it's lovely to see him completely unleashed as lower when he just dials everything up to 10. Uh, so, you know, I think it's it's terrific fun. Um, there are a lot of plot beats that don't quite work. But, uh, yeah, it's a 45 minutes of television. Yeah, I think you could do a lot worse than, than sit and watch this one. It's very good. Definitely, yeah. I mean, yeah, probably one of the highlights of season one uh, for, me for those mm. reasons. And I think uh, it's great to see Brent's kind of play against type, against data as well, and just have a lot of fun. And it, and it is, and it is for, for the most part, it's a fun episode. I quite liked some of the um, 
some of the funny moments in it. I thought that when they first show the law head and they pull it out of the box and it's like it's clearly nothing like data at yes. all. <laughs> you know, that's eighty special effects for you. <laughs> and also data's trying to learn how to sneeze at the beginning and he's asked, Have you got oh, yeah, have you yeah. got a cold? A cold what? I thought was fantastic. <laughs> I, I did laugh out loud again at that one. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things they nail quite early on, isn't it? Um, data, and I think um, this is an example of that, definitely. Yeah. Next up, Brothers, Season 4, Episode 3, written by Rick Berman, directed again by Rob Bowman. Data jeopardises an emergency mission to save an ill child when he receives a signal from his creator, Dr. Noonien Sung. First edict of October 1990 in the US, 20th of April 1994 in the UK. So, Baz, initial thoughts on this one. It's a stronger episode. It's um, it's great. Again, there's a really compelling mystery at the early stage as well. I mean, the whole, the, the whole sequence when you've got Data kind of taking over the ship and mimicking Picard and locking everyone out is, is a great mystery in itself because you don't necessarily know how, how it's going to play. And the stuff with, with Sung is great. A little hammy. The makeup is terrible. <laughs> But I, I, I love the interplay. And again, what you were saying, Hugh, as well, about the kind of the the Pinocchio-like nature of of Data as well, and exploring humanity. And there's some really good debate between Sung and uh, and Data before, obviously, Law shows up mm. and just wreaks havoc, and he's just as fun as ever. Hugh? Uh, if you'll indulge me, gents. Um, the sons of the prophets were hardy and bold and quite unaccustomed to fear. But the bravest of all, at least so I am told... Was Abdullah Bubul Amir. Gents, that has lived rent free in my head for <laughs> 20 years. Right? I had to get it out, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I love this episode. I absolutely love it. It's one of the Star Trek episodes I think I've seen most. Um, when I was a kid, my dad uh, bought all the VHS tapes mm-hmm. when they were released, and uh, there was a special collector's edition which was um, Data's head, like in a, in a sort of silver frame. I yeah. had that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this was what this was one of the episodes that was on that, and I think I must have watched it until I ran out, wore out the tape. I absolutely adore it. Um, I, I agree, Baz. The, the makeup effects for uh, Doctor Soon are dreadful they have aged horrendously and i think this episode was actually nominated for uh, an emmy based on its uh, makeup which absolutely blew my tiny mind wow. because <laughs> I, I couldn't get my head around it it's so horrendous but I, I don't know maybe this was good at the time maybe i'm being overly harsh um but overall the episode i think is brilliant like you said that opening scene is thrilling doesn't matter how many times i see it i still get a kick out of it where they show you for just a second quite how dangerous data could be mm. if he chose to be and i love that and you, because he's such he is such a lovable character there's the earnestness about him constantly the, the the constantly striving to be more human i love all that stuff but when they do remind you that you know that this guy could probably crush your skull with his bare hands and <laughs> you know he could take control of the ship in, in the blink of an eye if he chose to so yeah i, I find the opening scene thrilling and like you said it sets up that great mystery in, in the early part of the episode um the only thing that I found odd that I don't really re- I didn't remember until this watch was there's surprisingly little lore. He doesn't really show up until you yeah. know about midway through the episode, which which was my only my only issue with it. But apart from that, no, I think this is a real winner. Yeah, it surprised me actually how long it, it did take Lord to actually turn up on the episode. But I just want to go back to that mm. opening moment again when we, uh-huh. with the mystery of Data taking over the ship. There's a moment in there I had to watch it a couple of times, and I still 
don't quite know how they did it. And that's just the moment of Data speaking as Picard, rattling off this really mm. long code, and the limp mm. sync is bang on. So yeah. it is. I don't know whether Patrick Stewart recorded the audio and Brent Spiner lip synced it, or whether Brent Spiner did it and Patrick Stewart dubbed over the top. I don't know, but it is absolutely bang on the money. So whoever, however they recorded it, however they edited it, it's perfect. I, I cannot find anything wrong with that, just that moment. It is. And also Patrick Stewart... And Patrick Stewart's vocal performance as well. Because as I said, the, the, the mm. speed at which... I mean, we know Patrick Stewart is an amazing actor and he can enunciate mm. and, uh, you know, he can, be, like, he can do big Shakespearean speech in, in his sleep. But the speed at which he talks is phenomenal. and Because you can have almost... You're almost used to... I mean, again, Brett Spiner is great. He does this a lot and it's great when, when he talks really fast. I was almost like thinking, well, this is really cool. And B... Kudos to Patrick Stewart for talking that fast and delivering that that that, that, mm. that level of dialogue, and then obviously syncing up with uh, Brent Spiner as well. So yeah, definitely one of my favourite moments of the whole episode. Yeah, I love the bait and switch as well that they pull in this episode because at the very start of the episode, we we've got these two kids, these kid brothers, Jake Potts mm. and Willie Potts. Jake's pulled a prank on his little brother Willie. No giggles, please. Causing him to eat a parasitic plant, causing him to become terminally ill. It's easy to fall into the trap, if you've never seen it before, thinking that an episode called Brothers is going to be about them. Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself as well, why are they on the ship? Because apparently the parents are off on a sabbatical. Why are they on the ship? Apparently Um, they've been given uh, permission to be there, but why? I couldn't... uh, Plot. That's all I can think. (laughs) Plot. No other reason. (laughs) It makes no sense. It's like, if they're on a mission, fine. They're on sabbatical, so what? You're on holiday for a year, just leave your kids behind? I mean, you know, like, talk about bad parenting. It, it's yeah, just, it, it's, yeah, you leave your, you leave your, they're not even that, you know, they're not even like late teenagers or something. You know, they, these are, these are small kids. <laughs> one kid's under 10 and you leave him on, to go on sabbatical. I mean, these parents are the worst. Pa- this is a ship that's just, just recently encountered the Borg. So, mm. uh, uh, yeah, We're, I mean, we don't see them, but these are the worst parents in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Just to echo what Baz is saying, you know, that's all I could think of in the first five minutes of this episode was, who are these people? <laughs> get me their names and address. I need to phone Social Security. We need to get someone in there. It's outrageous. I know we've become an evolved society in the 24th century, but we haven't evolved that far, surely, where we can just leave our eight and nine-year-old kids to roam about the starship on their own. And uh, is it Riker who says, oh, yeah, no, I, I agreed to this, you know, on the condition. But you agreed to this? Like, why did you agree to this? Yeah, no, big question marks over Riker's judgment for that one. And, uh, yeah, worst parents ever. Yeah, and not just that, but Riker's given this kid the third degree at the beginning of the episode as well. <laughs> it's like, oh, hang on a minute, you've got the first officer of the flagship of, the, of Starfleet giving this kid a hard time. And it's like, okay, um, yeah, it, it just seemed really, really out of place. Yeah, as you said, plot reasons, we need to have these kids unsupervised and suddenly one of them's terminally ill has to has to give the the episode jeopardy but it just seems Mm. really really um weird to have them in that position to begin with but it's so weird it's so i mean i guess guess in what what you said though that bait and switch is quite clever because if they what if they weren't in it and it was was called brothers and you think oh it's a data story you know i I know you've only been it once you know maybe after a second performance you might be more obvious but 
you know, a, a keen-eyed viewer may go, oh, it's Brothers, it's a data episode, is Law going to turn up? So, uh, and but it is a genuine surprise, and I think you're right, because they have the whole brother subplot running through the episode. It works, yeah. I, I like that the A and the B plot are both brothers, mm. uh, ultimately. Mm. That works. I think the, 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 the B plot is not the greatest one, probably because of the, the very questionable parenting um, on, on the ship as well. But uh, it kind of works. It's thematically, it ties together as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think as well, um, I spotted there seems to be a run of episodes in season four. It's very family based because this one comes yeah. after Best of Both Worlds and Family. Then we go into Suddenly Human about someone who finds out about his father. Remember Me with Wesley trying to rescue his mother. Legacy with Tasha Yar's sister. Re- reunion where we meet Worf's rapidly aging son, Alexander, and Future Imperfect, with an alien pretending to be Riker's son. I mean, come on. How many more family-based episodes are they going to have in a row? I, I quite like... I mean, maybe it's a confidence in the show as well, and that, that real transition as well. By this point, he's just come off the... The, probably the, the best TV cliffhanger in history at this point. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a, you know, season three was such a big... I mean, season two is some good stuff, but season three is such a big step up as well in the quality of the show. Mm-hmm. There some amazing episodes... And I think it really, you know, it it makes, you know, really does works really hard to do some good work with the characters as well. So I like mm. I, I like the running theme, you know, as, as we're going at this mm. point in the show. It's kind of um, it shows a kind of a confidence to. Uh, it's not arc based by any means, but it, it but it is, um, you know, I mean, family is a prime example of an episode that was doing something very new. I know Gene Waterby kind of fought against it and ended up being one of the best episodes and a brilliant kind of coda to the best of both worlds as well yeah. but um I, I like that kind of the confidence and having this kind of thematic idea running throughout a number of the episodes too yeah no i think i think that's 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 spot on um this is the, this is the run of episodes that kind of be careful how i phrase this on a star trek the next generation podcast this is the run of episodes that kind of restored my faith in in my rewatch because i was beginning to flag a little bit i'm not why Season one was was hard going at times, but there was a few absolute gems in there. And season two, again, there are some brilliant moments and some cracking episodes. But even then, it's, I still felt maybe I was misremembering this show. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe Kid Hugh actually was was easily won over by it. And then we get to best of both worlds, which I absolutely love. And you're right from there. It's just it's a home run for a few yeah. episodes. Family is a brilliant episode. It's heartbreaking. It's so it's so well written, so well put together. Um, you know, and it, it pays off things that we've seen in other episodes, which that itself almost felt unique for, mm. for Star Trek at this point. You know, to actually refer to these huge events that have just happened a couple of episodes ago and pay them off in some way, emotionally and thematically. So yeah, no, these, this is the run that really kind of got me well on board for my rewatch again and really got me excited for what was to come. And yeah, season three is absolutely terrific. And I think as well, they made up for lost time because Data isn't in Family. Mm. And yet we've got... Of course, yeah. Yeah, we've got three of uh, Brent Spiner in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Making up for lost time from family. We've got another new character, obviously, for Brent Spiner's growing repertoire here. We meet Dr. Sung. <laughs> um, Dr. Noonien Sung, which, to be fair, kind of reminds us of another Star Trek character name. <laughs> We'd go on to see him play many other members of the Sung family, as well as before, and also the many personalities that we see him take on in the episode Masks. But... What do you think of his take as Doctor Sung? Makeup aside, um, I, I think it's I think it's terrific. And and again, I know we've we've mentioned this already. Like playing into the sort of the Geppetto Pinocchio relationship is brilliant. Um, I think it's very touching. This episode uh, I, again, 
I don't remember it being so watching it when I was younger, but watching it through adult eyes uh, and as, as now as a, as a dad myself, um, yeah, I, I can kind of uh, relate to a lot of the things that, you know, that are coming from uh, Dr. Soong. I, I, I think Brent Spender does such a great job as well of, con- as, of totally convincing you of three separate people. Mm. You, know, you, you don't for a second think, or at least I didn't, you don't for a second think, oh, this is a really good effect or a really good trick that they're doing to, you know, to have the three of them on screen. It just, it plays so naturally together. Uh, and I think soon, again, my only big disappointment is the way in which they wrap up the story because that's a character I would like to have seen return to, but obviously the way in which the, the episode ends makes that impossible. But yeah, no, I, I think he is absolutely brilliant. Um, you you gents are obviously much more uh, much more experts than I will ever be on these things, but can you help me? The Noonien Soong, and uh, obviously Khan Noonien Soong, I have a vague le- recollection of reading that that was something to do with one of uh, Gene Roddenberry's old war buddies that he'd lost touch with, and he used that name to, in, in the hopes that, that someone would get in touch with him. Have I misremembered that? It's, it's kind of in the back of my head somewhere. Not at all. Uh, funnily enough, I was looking at a thing about that, and I put that in my notes. No, oh, okay. About... Sorry, have I jumped the gun? No, there, no, no, no. Uh, funnily enough, it was the very next thing I had on the, on the screen. Mm. One of Gene Roddenberry's, one of the people he'd served with during World War Two was called Kim mm. Noonien Singh. And, uh, yeah, he obviously used his name not just for this, but for, for Dr. Noonien Singh as well. I've got to ask, I wonder how he would react if he found out his name had been used for two such, well, one such despicable character and one potentially nasty character. I wonder mm. how he would have felt about his name being used for those purposes. Up until, know, yeah. up until this morning, I, I didn't realise that they were actually named for a real person. I, I, um, mm. I, I thought that they just created these two character names quite similarly quite similarly i think i think i mean the the, the character of dr soon is, is fascinating and I, the problem is i've got more questions than than answers when it comes to this it's, i don't really understand why he was in hiding um i don't really understand why he ran away even in the first episode when it's mentioned he kind of like you know he'd run off to this colony i don't really get why he was working in secret and not using you know all the the, the benefits that starfleet couldn't possibly have given him or the federation could have helped him with um and yeah then living on like a like a swamp planet like Dagobah like he's, like he's some sort of like tall human Yoda um, I, c- I couldn't quite understand why that was the case uh, is that something that's maybe expanded upon elsewhere am I missing something there I mean Enterprise sort of I mean the thing about Sung's for me is that they're, they're a bit of a law of diminishing returns each one is never as good as the last one but um, <laughs> I, the Sung that you see in Enterprise which mm-hmm. I think is the second Sung we see. Yes. Is um, he, he's, a, he's a, basically a criminal. He's locked up. He's worked on eugenics and uh, and uh, and, uh, and then he, at the end of the episode, he goes, oh, maybe I'll work on cybernetics. And you know, suddenly, so, so every child since then suddenly works on on, on cybernetics and uh, positronic brains and all the kind of stuff that leads to data. I get there's a sense there's a kind of the uh, he's working on like fringe science for a lot mm-hmm. of it. And I wonder if maybe that's where it goes. I mean. Maybe you could also read into, you know, maybe there's an awareness of the of the Shat Vash and all the vomit and stuff that you're in Picard. Mm-hmm. You could probably mm-hmm. retroactively read into it and maybe he knows about that, so he's kind of hiding from that. I, I don't know because I'm sure the, Jat, like that, the Shat yeah. Vash, if they knew that he was creating data and law, would be on him in a second and killing mm-hmm. him. So, but of course, that's kind of reading into what happens later. So, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, I think. There's stuff in Picard's and Enterprise that kind of maybe had some context, but 
from next generation looking at when the the, the kind of the environment in which these episodes were made i don't think it really explains that too well no the, the only thing i i could think of was i mean just put yourself in his shoes for a minute right decades of your life decades of work building this perfect positronic brain and you create lore the perfect douchebag yes. you know <laughs> you think maybe you thought oh god no i can't have my name attached to that i'm off that's the only thing i can think of yeah but then after law he creates data oh yeah yeah because yeah. law was created first if i if mm. i remember rightly from data law mm. he um, was he was and then they but then the us Tripoli they mentioned in data law found data on the planet but he was the only person they found mm. so uh yeah, so I don't know. So I guess he wasn't intending for him to be in Starfleet. It's actually what's interesting in the episode. He, he refers to um, Starfleet. He goes, you decided to emulate your emancipators. So again, he's he's mm. not particularly a fan of of Starfleet either. You know, he's he certainly he's not necessarily upholds to their ideals. And uh, mm. which is why I really like in this episode. There's that kind of really interesting debate around um, on data on humanity and actually is data. You know, I mean, I think. Sung seems to suggest that actually he doesn't particularly approve of date of data's quest to become more human. He doesn't necessarily particularly approve of Starfleet. Um I always felt there was more of a story there anyway, yeah. around what, what he's trying to do. But certainly I think the way he refers to them as emancipators suggests that uh you know he's certainly uh he's not on, on, on good terms with Starfleet. Mm. I don't think Dr. Sung realised that he was actually doing anything malicious at the time. He'd obviously put this recall in place. Mm-hmm. Data can't recall the sick kid, and obviously Dr. Mm-hmm. Sung knows nothing about it. So all he's doing is he's just basically calling him back and saying, right, OK, here's a new chip for you. And there's no mm-hmm. idea that Laura's is going to show up as well. Yeah, before we get on to Laura as well, I mean, the other thing I okay. found really interesting, talking about Picard, there's that whole... I, I love that scene when they're talking together about mimicking you, uh, uh, emancipators and how basically disappointing maybe in Data's quest for humanity. And there's mm-hmm. all that wonderful moment where he talks about... Um, Having children gives humans a sense of immortality, which is really interesting. Obviously, you, you've recently had Data create Lau in season three, so kind of the theme out there. But it's really a theme that picks up in Picard. And it's a, it's a great thing about watching, going back and watching Next Gen, and particularly episodes that kind of tie thematically into Star Trek Picard as well. You see, maybe there were things that we kind of maybe weren't aware of that actually were already existing in, in the kind of the parent show as well. The idea of... Mm creating children to kind of live out your legacy is very much the whole the whole point of that of that plan they get to the end of Picard season one when data's mm. created children and obviously Sung's son is there as well. So again that that always feels like I can imagine the writers and Picard going, actually you remember in Brothers when he was talking about the idea of of creation and legacy and children, you know, living through your children as well. Um that, that really ties back into some of these um, ideas they're talking about in uh, this episode too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's that's spot on. Just going back to what we were talking about earlier, about that notion of the way in which Starfleet views androids and views data, which obviously the measure of a man's kind of like the, the the best episode for dealing with that, where they have the sort of, the, you know, the courtroom scenes and Picard successfully argues that the data is a sentient being. So, I mean, with that in, in my head, um, and it kind of that overrides a lot of things I think about the way in which lore and data are treated and operate. Um, lore has actually a really strong grievance here. You know, the when it was decided that he was a bit too troublesome, the way in which he dealt with it was, well, soon just turned them off and disassembled them. That's a that's a living sentient being mm. who they've mm. just chosen to box up for eternity, and it also goes on to you know 
obviously Picard will address this, but I mean, effectively, that's kind of how we leave lore when we get to it. You know, it's the same idea where you like pack them up and pop, pop them away. And, and I, I think, yeah, see, some, some things I totally get where Lore's coming from. Mm. I can understand his rage and, and why he's so angry and bitter. Um, I can't answer why he's such a smug douchebag, but, you know, the rest <laughs> of the stuff I can totally get on board with. Yeah. And funnily enough, that's, that's sort of where we are with B4, because we see him sort of boxed up in that um, in that chest of drawers at the beginning of Picard as well. So, yeah. Uh, and... Yeah. Okay. He wasn't as sophisticated. Was he sentient? Was he was he self aware? Mm, possibly. It's an interesting yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It sort of reminded me weirdly of the um, of how they treated Henry and Thomas the Tank Engine. Just bricked him up behind that wall. <laughs> was it Henry? Oh, yeah. Thank, thanks for the, thanks for bringing back those names, <laughs> Jeff. Cheers. Appreciate that. Thought the therapy had got rid of that, but no. Nope, here we go. Back again. <laughs> but yeah, Law turns up at Doctor Sutton's lab in a pack led uniform. I'd love to know the story behind that. I mean, there's a short trek there, surely. <laughs> Again, just what what the hell is he wearing? That's all I could think yeah. when he showed up. Like, what, what what's he got on now, Lore? What's that? And so, yeah, I was delighted again with uh, with his um, sartorial choices. Just outstanding stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, we, obviously we've got the more unusual uh, behaviour from Data right at the beginning. Dr. Sung asked a number of questions about humans to Data, and it made me wonder, is Dr. Sung not human? Because he said oh, humans have a thing about old buildings, and they try and preserve them. And, and, and I, Considering that we've seen other members of the Sung family since who are clearly human... His son not human? When I was a kid, I I mean, I assumed he was an alien, but that was because of the makeup effects, if I'm honest yeah. with you. Mm. I, I just thought he was some weird little goblin that was living in the middle of nowhere. And it, it wasn't... But as I got older, it's like, no, no, I, I always thought he was human. Um, visually, that was an issue. But, like, in terms of, like, the character and what we kind of knew of him, yeah, no, I just assumed he was. Yeah, I, I, th- I think... It, I mean, maybe he's part human, part of a DNA. Like, t- Troy, for example, he's only half human, but... Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I certainly there's some. I mean, there's certainly human descent. You see that with the characters in in Picard's Enterprise as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just, yeah, maybe the makeup is so bad. You think he is a he is a giant human Yoda? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this episode now in the future and just think of Doctor Sung as Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any notes that either of you have got that you want to bring up? No, not loads. A couple of things. Dr. Soong has got dinosaur toys for some reason. Again, not really not really explained. <laughs> He's got a huge T-Rex head behind him. It looks really cool. I don't really know if, if, if there's any reason for it to be there, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, data repeating over and over again. I am not less perfect than lore. <laughs> Again, it's another line that has lived in my brain forever, eating away at me in those in the quiet hours of the morning. And I'll be completely honest, gents, the ending is a bit of a rubbish trick to have them imitate data again yeah. mm. and have it occur off screen where it feels like a bit of a cheat to me. You know, it just feels like, oh, all right, well, we've been here already, guys. I don't really know. So like, how, how did he get the better of me? I think uh, data just says he surprised me. Oh, no, I need more than that, I'm afraid. It was um, obvious, wasn't it? It was too obvious it was going to happen yeah. as well. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do really like um, his manic energy as law as well. He just comes yes. in, you know, he's twirling that virtual moustache. He's brilliant. And again, he, he kind of steals the show because Sung is quite hammy in this episode. Uh-huh. But I like this, the more tender moments, even the bit when he's dying at the end as well, when uh, Daisy says goodbye to him. But yeah, law comes in, strides in. <laughs> Look at me today! I'm the villain of the episode, and, and it, it's great fun. 
just just on that, th- there was a moment where when Soong announces that he's he's dying, you know, he has this disease and he's dying. Lord looked genuinely upset and mm. genuinely like, mm. like concerned and worried. I found that really fascinating, and it's not something they kind of capitalised on because I, I like the idea of that sort of outward bravado being just that. You know, it's mm. just a show, it's just an act. But but inside, of course, he's you know he still loves him because that's his father. Yeah. And I always took the the turn at the end when he kills Doctor Soon is because he's been given the second emotion chip and it kind of like overstimulates all of his emotions and maybe heightens them to higher levels, which is why he gets so angry so quickly and, and ends up you know killing him. But I'm I'm not sure if that's the right reading of it. But I, ju- I just because he has that moment where of real what well, felt like real genuine emotion towards Soon, it makes his actions in the final scene a little bit um, obfuscated. I would say. Yeah. yeah. I think he definitely did. Yeah, he definitely felt sadness over what was happening. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a conflict in there as well. You know, betrayal, but also sadness at the same time. And, and the kind of the anger over what happened to him kind of wins out. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's there. There is something about law that you you do kind of feel sorry for him as well. That his treatment and certainly and and it's interesting because actually it's law that feels a loss of Sung and not Data. Mm-hmm. Even though Data was the scene on the yeah, end, it's yeah. it's Sung that has that. I'm sorry, it is law that has that emotional reaction to Sun Dime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only other note I've got here is <laughs> in the first episode that I'd written down Often Wrong Soon is a dreadful, dreadful nickname that not even a schoolyard bully would come up with. <laughs> and then in this episode... Uh, Lore brings it up himself. He goes, often wrong soon. Yeah, I never really quite liked that. It's like, yes, well done, Lore. You've spotted it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I never could understand it. Apparently, it's, it's meant to rhyme wrong and song. It, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work. Wrong <laughs> and soon. <I> do. <laughs> <laughs> we obviously get the emotion chip as well that we'd mm. see later on in the movies. Have you got brothers or sisters yourselves? Because I'm an only child. Oh, I have three I'm younger got- brothers, yeah. Right. Oh, three younger brothers. My goodness, I've got a, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. Okay, because the line at the end from Doctor Crusher, "Brothers forgive," and I've seen my partner's two boys sometimes, and they, you know, the way they act towards each other, and I'm thinking, do they? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very optimistic. Um, I get on okay. I didn't get on brothers with two of my brothers. One I do, some I didn't. But I get on okay with them now, mm. but um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, particularly as children. Brothers always forgive. No, I think brothers mm. hold grudges quite a long time. Too. <laughs> That's what I thought. But but yeah. but maybe twenty fourth century children after pranking each other and almost killing them, they do forgive. So maybe. <laughs> Let's move on to descent. Now, we thought we'd look at the two part as a whole because law really mm. only appears in the last sort of five seconds of part one. But part one, season six, episode 26, written by Ronald D. Moore, from a story by Jerry Taylor, directed by Alexander Singer. First aired 21st of June 1993 in the US and 3rd of January 96 in the UK. Part two, which is season seven, episode one, written by René Echeverria, and again directed by Alexander Singer. First aired 20th of September 93 in the US, 10th of January 1996 in the UK. The Borg begin a new offensive against the Federation, but this time they're acting as individuals. Data experiences his first emotions while fighting them. Now, we'll do our best to put aside the Borg elements of this episode, even though I know you want to mm. talk about them, Hugh, um, because we're more interested in lore in this one. Um, mm. What do we think of this as a, as a two-parter and a, um, and a cliffhanger season finale as well, Hugh? Uh, yeah, 
absolutely terrific and, and, and again lovely to see lore show up at the end of this because when i first watched this episode again i've gone back a long time i had no idea that the borg were in it and i had no idea that lore was in it as well so that initial reveal when the sort of the door slides back and there's a lone borg uh, uh, sentinel standing there was brilliant I remember being so excited my i was watching it in the sitting room and i remember like screaming on my dad who's in the kitchen like dad the borg the borg have shown up um <laughs> And then, and again, I had no idea that lore was coming at the end, which was was a lovely reveal. And, and as a two-parter, I think I think it's really, really good. Um, I think it, get, it showcases Gates McFadden really well. Mm. I think it's great that she gets a little bit of time to, to step into the spotlight because, again, watching it this time around, that's a character that I feel gets kind of the short end of the stick a lot of the time. So it was nice to see her given something important to do. But yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I think it's uh, lore as a cult leader is really an interesting yeah. idea. And, you know, because as lore, I think Spiner can be quite charismatic and quite, you know, alluring, uh, even with the ridiculous black body armor, which is, again, another fashion choice, which I absolutely love. Just chef's kiss to the design <laughs> options there. But yeah, I, I, like when Picard says to him, you know, like, you've corrupted the Borg. I mean, that is such a loaded <laughs> sentence. There's so mm. much, you've corrupted the Borg. How did you manage that, lore? Well done. How can you make um, the Borg I, any I more just... twisted than they are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like he's like this weird sort of uh, self-help guru who's who's you know taking control of this of this lost tribe. Um, I think it's great. I do have some issues with the way in which data is manipulated. I don't really think I buy the logic of it all the time, um, and the sort of the, the you know the the drug addict metaphor is a mm. little bit heavy-handed for me, if I'm honest. Um, but it's I think it's it's a lot of fun this episode. What about you, Baz? Yeah, I mean, what I really like about Descent, both parts actually, is the kind of, because they knew going to the final season, it was going to be the final season before the movie, so they had to start kind of, if they're, if they're only kind of lingering threads, maybe bring them into a head. Uh, we know that um, for the most part, Next Gen wasn't really art-based, where the Klingon stuff going on, and you had a bit of the Borg stuff, I guess lore as well. So what I really like about this episode is you've got continuous data journey to humanity, you've got the Borg, and, the, and they're all the, and they're kind of the, the impact, the wounds they still have. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the Borg, but Necheyev basically blasted Picard when you had Hugh. Why on earth did you not give him that virus that would have killed the Borg? Yeah. How could you not do that? And that kind of, you know, the actions, you've got the kind of impact of discovering Hugh, you've got the impact of the Borg and the and the, the devastation they've caused in the Federation and the hatred and the fear that continue to lingers as well. Um, the sense of kind of fear, there's a, there's a Again, there's a moment when the Enterprise is responding to distress signals. They're all kind of, um, they're not actually Borg attacks, but everyone is basically scared shitless by the, how crap the Borg are back. Mm. And, and it's this big legacy. And then you've got Law as well. And I love how it all comes together with what happened to Hugh, the impact of the Borg, Data's journey, and then Law turned up on, on the ice and on the cake going, right, mm. I'm in charge and corrupting Data. And that, that I mean, that the, the, the cliffhanger to part one, which is basically... The songs of Sung have joined together and together we will destroy the Federation. What a freaking great line. It's a great yeah, cliffhanger yeah. with Data saying say part of the line is with Law. You've got Data, you've got Law, you've got the Borg. It's like, holy crap. That that that. I don't necessarily think <laughs> the episode pays off very well, even though I love the Law stuff in the second part. But mm. um, yeah, the way it kind of builds up all these themes that have been running through the show for a number of years and just puts them in a blender is great. Yeah. I think the Sons of Soong would be a fantastic wrestling tag team, to be honest. I like that. I particularly liked as well, just right at the start of the episode, the poker game between Data mm. 
Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, and Professor Stephen Hawking playing himself. The only person ever to play himself in Star Trek. And you can see the grin on his face. He is having the time Hmm. of his life. He's on a TV show he loves. And even watching it back now, I couldn't help but grin all the way through that scene. It's it's a fantastic scene. What what do you think? Oh, 100%, yeah. In fact, I, I put this on uh, last night and uh, my partner was in the room and she'd never seen this before. And she's like, is, is that the actual Stephen Hawking? I was like, yeah, yeah it's amazing. He was a huge fan. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lovely scene. It's very well written as well, I think. You know, it's very clever. The, the, only, the only thing I would say, um, I think, God, imagine they were making this now. It would probably be like an Elon Musk or something Ooh. that would be in. And that, that was the only thing I could think is they, they do name check Musk I think don't in they Discovery. in Star Trek Discovery yeah. when they're, they're like they're like listing off all these geniuses and his names there and I remember even at the time hearing it thinking oh no 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 please don't do that that's not good but um sorry that aside yeah I, I love this scene it's, it's beautiful yeah but to be fair the person that name checks Elon Musk in Discovery is Lorca <laughs> oh, there you go, that's, your that's, that's your clue that's your clue you've fixed that for me Jeff thank you that's, uh, that's sorted out in my head now no problem Yeah, I, I, I think it's one of my favourite holodeck scenes in Star Trek it is, it's just yeah. a ridiculously fun opener to um, mm-hmm. you know I mean all the actors playing yeah, it's played uh, I find a little bit cliche on Albert Einstein but I really like Isaac Newton as well but they did play together uh, and that mischievousness that you get from Stephen Hawking playing mm-hmm. that role it's just it's a bonkers concept, but it works so well. And the fact that Stephen is playing that role is really, really special as well. You know he was a fan, and it recognises him as well as one of the greats. And yeah, it's just a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, it was during a promotional tour that he was doing for a brief history of time, and oh, wow. he turned up. He went to the Paramount Studios, and he, you know, he's Stephen Hawking. Can I have a look around the Star Trek set? <laughs> And one of the few times apparently he's ever asked to be taken out of his chair was when he got to sit in the captain's chair, which is oh, wow. a fantastic story, I think. Yeah, that is a great story. Yeah. Apparently, as well as they were going past the warp core set, he said, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> yeah, going back to date, uh, sorry, going back to law. This will be the first time that the crew, apart from Data himself, have interacted with Law since Data Law. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, it's six years on, and the only person that met Law in, in Brothers was Data. So mm-hmm. how do we feel about that? Because it, it just seemed a bit of a weird thing that, you know, this main villain, if you like, this is only really the second time that the crew have interacted with him. I just felt that was... Uh, I just felt that was quite strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I I find it really strange as well, like with Lore, that he appears so infrequently. Mm. Again, in, in my head, uh, he was one of like the next generation's central antagonists. Yeah. And he was in it loads. But, uh, that's how I remember it. But I think that's just because, and again, that's testament to the power of Brent Spiner's performance because it's so larger than life. It's so big that it sticks in your head years and years later. So yeah, when I was returning to it this time, I was really surprised to find that he only has a handful of appearances across the across the the series, and yeah, the, the fact that very few characters actually interact with him as well, I find really odd. 
don't get me wrong, I think it's important that they do focus on uh, data and lore. You know, that, that has to be front and centre. Uh, but yeah, it is fascinating to, to, to think how little interaction someone like Picard, for instance, has mm. with what is ostensibly one of the next generation's big villains. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. yeah. I, sorry, I was just going to say, because I put it out on social media as well, asking if lore had appeared in any novels or comic books, and uh, mm. apparently they've stayed clear of him as well. So... Yeah, he's a very, very unique character. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame we didn't get Crusher versus Law Mark II, because she's on the ship fighting off the Borg as well, because she mm. was in that, in that kind of cargo bay sequence at the end with the barrels. Luckily, Worf wasn't in that scene at the end, because God knows what happened at that point. Yeah, so I, I, th- I think it's a shame we didn't get Crusher uh, versus Law Part Two. Um, you know, but I, I, whether they would have kind of paid off the kind of stuff with Wesley... Six years later, I don't know. But uh, yeah, she's the only one I can remember having a, ever kind of a meteor scene with Law back in Data Law. Mm. Yeah. And we do get a Crusher, obviously, left in charge of the Enterprise. Mm. I, I think her scenes were great, but my mm. only problem was is that she seemed to be given the B team in regards to the command on the bridge because she's given Lieutenant Barnaby <laughs> and Ensign Tate. <laughs> yeah, that that was something that stuck out like a sore thumb, yeah. Jeff, because, um, like... Everybody needs to go to the planet to have a look for for data. That's what that reminded me of. Um, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, uh, when Jim Gordon's master plan to find Bane is to send every single <laughs> police officer in Gotham into the sewers. Don't worry about it, lads. Everything will be fine. On you go. Um, and that's what this felt like as well. Let's send every competent crew member and Worf down to the, the, the planet surface to hunt for them. Yeah, it made no sense. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's it's up it's up there we have let's go on sabbatical for you and leave our kids on the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it is it is a bizarre decision. I mean I, I like Crush you did, what was because Crush was a commander, so you didn't need you could have left mm-hmm. Worf and some other people on the Enterprise. Geordie well Geordie being talked to there was stuff with Geordie Troy and right Picard which I quite like, but you know maybe I guess it doesn't make sense. The whole thing about, you know, we don't send the captain and the first officer down the planet. Well, you send them both on the... You've got a giant Borg ship in space and you can send both all the senior officers onto the planet. Well, that makes Mm. no sense whatsoever. But um, I do like Crusher in command fighting off against the Borg ship. I like the scenes with the crew. The... uh, Lieutenant, is it Barnaby? He he's he's, Barnaby. A, he's a bit of a, a bit of a dick. The way he way he acts towards Tate yep. is a uh, yeah. The way when he, when he turns on the bridge, he just sort of stands over her. It's very uh, very kind of aggressive male dominance on that one, mm. which was particularly like. I like, but I, I always remember him being even more of an arse than he was. So I guess there was there was mm-hmm. that at least. But I like them working together. But it just again, if they've been recurring characters, maybe. But you don't see them again. I don't, I don't think anyway. So. I would like to see maybe maybe Tate and Barnaby in a bit more beforehand. You could have, yeah, mm-hmm. where's Enten Road gone by this point, hadn't she? But you could have had yeah. someone like that, some recurring characters, to maybe give it a bit more depth because what you know, and, and this happens with that Voyager a lot of the time as well, where these cats would never be seen again. So it doesn't matter how good they are. That's it. They're, they're a one and done thing. But I like. You know, Baz, I, 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 was, yeah, I was reading, though, that. Sorry, I was reading apparently that. Um, in the first draft of the script, it was meant to be uh, Barclay that was going to be on the, the ah. bridge. Uh, but that was kind of dropped because they were trying to cut costs on what was already a really expensive episode. Makes but, sense. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, Barclay it will work, worked as well. So, uh, yeah, it's just a shame. It's a shame because it kind of, it, and that's it, it does feel cheap. 
There's this big action sequence where they're flying to the sun, which is really cool. Mm. And they, they just think similar in Babylon 5 with a shuttle ship as well. That was quite cool. But um, I, I think this came first, I believe. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a cool sequence, but also at the same time, just feels a little bit cheap. And I think this is the one thing I found a bit disappointing about the second episode. I know it's Borg stuff rather than lore stuff, but the whole destruction of the Borg ship, there's a kind of menace of trying to jump back and forth from the Borg chasing them, but it's not. Mm. it doesn't have any of the menace, I'll say, of the Borg cube. And the stuff in the sun is kind of fine, but it feels very much one and done and hey, a little bit cheap for me. Yeah, I'll be honest, at yeah. one point I was expecting Alexander to be on the bridge, just basically making up the numbers on that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the joys of this rewatch, gents, just slightly off topic, is just rediscovering how utterly inept Worf is uh, when it comes to any sort of combat situation. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. I don't remember that at all as a kid watching that. I don't. Re- I remember Worf being the big imposing Klingon guy who could sor- solve any problem, everything would be great. But this time round, no, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. If you if you want something done right, kill Worf before you start. Yeah. But they send him in constantly to get beat up. And in, in the first episode with Lore, um, you know, Lore corners him in the turbo lift and basically <laughs> beats the crap out of him. <laughs> it's just like, oh God, Worf, what, 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 what went wrong, son? Why did that happen? Yeah. Worf was a lot better in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's a running theme in the show have we have we got to the compulsory bit where we talk about Tasha Yar yet and Sela? I <laughs> know I think we can stay clear this is as month Jeff we've got more of behaviour from Data as well because obviously he's mm. he's been affected or being influenced and I know you said earlier on Hugh that you didn't quite buy it I yeah, it's like how much of data is still in there because mm-hmm. he's torturing Geordie at one point. Um, yep. At the end of the episode, him and Geordie are best buds again. But mm-hmm. oof, I, it... I felt that the leap was too much, mm. Jeff. It was too much of a leap in, the, in that first instance where he's just suddenly evil because he's getting, you know, because he's being fed some negative emotions. It's like the data we know and everything that he's learned over these last seven years. What, so it's immediately overridden by this like this this quick flash of emotion that, mm. that's fed to him. I, I, it didn't quite work for me as a concept. Yeah. Now, as a performance, I think it's really good. I think Brett Spiner's excellent. I think he's really, yeah. really especially that moment when him and Laura are outside in the sunshine. Mm. I love that scene. I think that's really great. And, and Brent Spiner, both versions of him are, are really you know giving it their all. And you really feel for Data, you know, when when Laura's manipulating them and. But I just, I just don't buy that the data that we've got to know over the last seven years would so readily and quickly sell out his crewmates for a hit of emotion. Um, if if they'd built it up slower, if it maybe been done, this is one of those things. That if it was a show that was more about um, ongoing arcs, this is something that you could thread through maybe like five or six episodes yeah. to show him slowly being eaten away by this thing that's you know constantly wearing him down. I could get that, but over the course of a forty-four minute episode, it was it's a bit much. So yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's clumsy is the, probably the best way of describing it. But it doesn't really get in the way overall with the episode for me because I think you can suspend your disbelief just enough to kind of get on with it. And what you said there, Baz, is spot on. The ending, I was a bit disappointed with how quickly him and Jordy were just back to being buddies again. Now, not that I want Jordy to be spiteful or angry and hold a grudge, but we could have seen some aftermath of, mm, of what happened yeah. to him and some sort of lingering, because it would, there would be some sort of lingering resentment, even though you you could intellectually understand what had happened, maybe not being Data's fault. Emotion, we're emotional people, you know, humans are emotional. I don't think you could readily, like, 
square both of those sides if you're being that quickly. Um, so that that would be maybe my my only uh, my only issue there. I, mean, I guess the best stuff of the episodes is again Law and Day just together. We're, we're not in the second half mm. when Law's in the. Play. I mean, I got, the idea you mentioned Hugh Law as a cult leader is a brilliant idea. This kind of he's very he said he's very charismatic and he's standing there very, in his big black kind of very borgish almost black body armor there. I'll just yeah. such presence and I mean, it's interesting you see that apart from maybe Croesus who's a little bit uh, quite Croesus was a little bit more sinister maybe that like when I mean, again I didn't buy it yeah. but I like the scene where he trying to seduce his oh. data and it seems to be like the kind of right hand man to Law but. There are the scenes when you know Law's on the planet and he's kind of like trying to control data and manipulate him as well and kind of was mocking him at times for for not for not kind of buying in fully as well. He's um he's very devious in this episode as well and yeah mm. again Brent Spine's performance as both Law and Data is fantastic. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's spot on. You can't take it away from them. Uh, I mean, just seeing Brent Spiner chewing the scenery is worth the price of admission alone <laughs> yeah wouldn't it have been nice though um to see uh, again maybe like as you said a star trek short would be lovely i would love to see how lore took control of that uh, of that sect of bob that's mm. that would be a fascinating story to watch um because obviously when he met them he explains in the episode that the, you know they were in disarray because they'd lost their sort of um you know their hive minds and they'd been sort of cut off from the rest of the borg yeah, I would. I would love to have spent an episode there. That'd have been fascinating to see him, you know, worm his way in and take control of this lost faction. That'd have been really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's more to it, isn't there? Almost like it could be three parts because yeah, again, the, yeah. the huge stuff. I know it's again Borg, not it's more of the law, but I always feel Hugh feels actually very short changed in this episode. There's stuff about you know Hugh being angry at them for kind of for abandoning him and cause you know the idea that Borg started fighting each other and they started starving to death because they didn't know what to do. You know, it's pretty extreme, and then obviously. Law found them as that kind of inspirational cult leader and brought them together. Mm. There's some great material in there, and I would like to have seen, you know, whether it being kind of flashback stuff, I, I don't know, maybe a, an extra episode thrown in there mm-hmm. if this was more like a three or four parter. You know, there was definitely room for so much more than we actually got as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and also, um, I cannot tell you how delighted a 12-year-old boy was to have a Borg named Hugh on the show. That was <laughs> I was going to say as well, your namesake shows up in this episode as well. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's it's great to see Hugh back on the show, in all honesty, because he, he made such an impression in iBorg uh, that I was mm. pleased to see him back on the show. And pleased to see him back then when he returned in Picard, even though they killed him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was but it was movie. great to have him back. Yeah, definitely. I don't have much else on my screen. What about you, Baz? Have you got anything there? I think yeah. I mean, you mentioned the kind of the drug addiction thing doesn't quite work. I love I love law manipulating data. Um, I find the whole thing with the, you know let's create this kind of carrier wave with this pin to you know it's very Star Trek techno babbly, but it goes it kind of works to bring bring. Um, Data back, but there's the, I always felt that the, you know, I love Law in this episode, but everything else could have been ramped up more. The Geordie's anger at being tortured, Crusher versus the Borg, or Hugh's kind of revenge and then redemption and then fighting back. All this stuff could have been ramped up from like what was a, a six or seven to a ten, but the Law stuff yeah. is great, and and that's what we're here to talk about anyway. And yeah, I I, I just love everything right the way to the end when. Uh, he, he deactivates and he says, I, I love you, brother, as you disassemble him. It's a, yeah. He doesn't really feel that. It's kind of the way the way he, the, that kind of final scene between Data and Law is uh, pretty great stuff too. Yeah. Hugh? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not too much to add. Just, just similarly, uh, there, there are elements of the episode that I wish they'd spent a bit more time on. Um, there are things that I think would work better if spread over several episodes, yeah. but that wasn't really the kind of show that um, that Star Trek The Next Generation was, was it? It was very much like a story of the week. There would be the odd thread that would carry you through from you know from season to season that would pick up again. Uh, but y- you feel that if this was done on a show like Picard or like or even like Discovery or something like mm. that, you know, this is something that would have happened over like four mm. or five episodes before we got to the big payoff. Um, so again, I don't I don't really judge the show for that because I think that's just a limitation of the time and when it was yeah. made. Um, yeah. But yeah, be fascinating to see a bit more of that sort of of the lower side of things. And um, what, also, what what was the big sort of symbol that they'd come up with is that just something that was lower really into branding or something and just thought well we need to have a cool symbol if i'm going to have a board cult we'll do this i found that quite interesting it's like the big sort of clawed hand um thing wasn't it i think that's meant to be the borg's logo like every every um alien race in star trek has a logo and i think that was the borg logo yeah yeah yeah. um but yeah i I love the borg marketing team because that's a great logo (laughs) i I was gonna say yeah the borg graphic designer fair play on you mate (laughs) i I also thought lore uh when he was being deactivated um again it's i'm conflicted because it's it's kind of sad, you know. Mm. His last words, as he as he, as he said, to, you know, "I love you, brother." Um, it's it's almost like um, like Hal mm. nine thousand from um, mm. you know uh, Space Odyssey being turned off. The same sort of slowing down of the speech as you know as his faculties begin to go and he's turned off. And and like I said earlier, I I don't feel entirely comfortable that after spending seven years showing that Data is a sentient being in his own right. Uh, and that he should have all the rights that a sentient being has, that the way in which they dispose of his brother is to pack him up in a box and send him back to the factory. It just feels a Mm. bit off for me. Um, And obviously, we will be revisiting this in Picard Season 3, so maybe Lore will be able to tell us how unhappy he was about that arrangement as well. One final bit, just basically talking about that deactivation. I noticed it for the first time when I was watching it yesterday, and apparently it was in the original standard definition version, Mm. but the special effect shot of data, of Law's pupil disappearing as he powers down. Yeah. I'd never noticed that before, but what a subtle and brilliant effect that was. Yeah. And yeah, that's it's very... It's really creepy. Yeah, very HAL 9000 as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's really all we had from Law over the course of Next Generation. We're going to see Law again in Season 3, so how much do we think we're going to see of him? Is he going to show up in one scene and that's it? Or is he going to be in a few episodes? So I'm mean, only going on the trailer because I'm one of these people that I don't know if you guys are the same. I try and avoid any news coming out or about these shows in advance. I don't really want to read set set reports. I don't want to read such and such has been leaked from the you know the series. Mm. So I know nothing about it except what we got in the trailer. Same. And there's a bit of me hopes that that Lore is the central villain. But I don't know, because there's, there's another character uh, in that trailer that looks like they're going to be a little bit more central. But I like the idea of maybe Lore being the one that unleashes Moriarty, you know, to try and cause uh, havoc with Picard. And, um, yeah, but I, I suspect he's maybe going to be the um, a secondary villain, uh, but will have multiple episodes, oh. I would think. Well, he's billed I as one so. of the stars, isn't he? So, yeah, he's... Mm. he's That's gonna... it. I think if, if he's only playing Lore in the season then I expect him to be in more than one episode, in at least four or five episodes. I'd love oh, it yeah. if actually he's... You know, it's... Um, I'm going to say it 
Jeff, it's either Law or it's Sealer. One of the two. I've got one of those people have got it because oh, hopefully they're going to get these back. It's I mean Law, Law and Sealer together, the two best kind of recurring villains are back team up together. And actually, the one we've seen on screen is nothing compared to what actually what's happening. How mm. great would that would be? But I, I guess it all comes down to is Brent Spiner playing another Sung or anyone else, or Data yeah. or anything, or is he just playing Law? If he's just playing Law. I hope. I think Moriarty is going to be a quick appearance. I'd love it with yeah. more, but who knows? But I think Law hopefully is going to be a bit more of a kind of presence as well. Yeah. It's the last vestige of Data's legacy. Yeah, I I agree. I hope we get to see more of him than just uh, you know a few scenes. And as I said, he's listed as one of the stars of the series, so I'm I'm hoping we're going to see him hang around for quite a few episodes. Yeah. I think we've barely touched on Law, to be honest, or the Law of Law. <laughs> Is there any final thoughts about this great character? I would just say that it's it's brilliant to see Brent Spiner unleashed because, you know, everything about Data is about restraint for the most part. Mm. And so it's lovely to see him kind of allowed to just, just go for it. Mm. Um, as I said to you earlier, I, I was really surprised at how little he actually appears throughout the, the seven seasons. I couldn't believe it was only this, this few episodes which again um, really hammers home how impressive that performance is because it lingers in the brain a lot more than it than a lot of other villains who are yeah. in it a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's wonderful. It was thanks for having me on to talk about it because it's a real treat to have the excuse to go back and like dig these episodes out. I'd, I'd seen them all within the last year or so, but it, it was fun to just go back to them again, having watched a lot more of the Next Generation. Uh, and yeah, um, I'm all for the sort of the big bombastic absurd villains in, in sci-fi. The more of them, the better, please. So yeah, big fan of it. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Baz? Just that I'm really looking forward to seeing him back. And I think going back and rewatching his performance as Law, it's been it's so much fun. So yeah, I'm just excited to see kind of what fun he has playing Law in the uh, new season. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you, Baz, for joining me as ever. Thank you, Hugh, for joining us today. Um, where can people get a hold of you, Hugh? Well, um, I'm a bit, I'm everywhere at the moment. It feels like I just feel like I've, it's a bit non-stop. Um, if you're looking for any of my writing, you can find my uh, film reviews and things at the London Horror Society. I'm primarily a, a, a horror critic for them. Um, so we've got a few pieces coming up in the next couple of weeks. I also co-host two podcasts, the uh, wonderful Vampire Videos with Dan Owen. We have uh, new episodes launching every Monday where we cover 100 years of vampire cinema. So there's been some classics out already. And this season, we've got some absolute belters coming for you. Uh, and I also co-host a podcast, 616 which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Uh, we're on a mini hiatus at the moment. We did our big end of year awards uh, in December. Uh, we're coming back, I think, just about the end of January to, to ramp up our coverage before the new Ant-Man film drops. So that'll be there as well. Uh, and I've just had two short stories published. Um, so if you want to check them out anywhere, I, I, all horror, all the time, that's me, uh, just check out my Twitter. Uh, I'm at AngryScotsman81 and uh, all my links and stuff are on there. Thank you, Baz. Where can people get hold of you? Yeah, let's be quick because I've done this many times before. So yeah, over we made this, mm-hmm. um, a Dream Game Reformer, Babylon 5 podcast. It's currently the show's 30th anniversary, so there's lots of great stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And then the Tardis Crew, a Dot 2 podcast which I host my son Ben, and obviously that show's going for the 60th anniversary. So there's lots of really good stuff happening there. And you can find me on Twitter at Baz Greenland, um, where I post all my podcasts, anything else I get involved with, and obviously all my books, including my Dot 2 related fiction novels that have been published, and my upcoming Babylon 5 book I'm writing for McFarlane Publishing too. 
you get a, you can get a hold of me at ncc underscore one seven formula one on twitter um i'm also starting a new podcast very soon in march or april i think it might be uh called uncharted territories about farscape you can find that uncharted pod wnt if you want to know more about the show, you can check out our Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages by searching Beyond Farpoint and please give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Next time, we'll be doing our second crossover episode after part one in episode 16 and we'll be looking at the cast of other Star Trek shows coming into Star Trek The Next Generation including the episodes Sarek, Unification and Relics. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Let's see what's out there. Engage.